If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. said, life can be a challenge, life can seem impossible, but it's never easy when there's so much on the line. All right, so it turns out that quote wasn't exactly poetry, it was, strictly speaking, a song from the end of Pokemon the movie from 2000. It's true. It's true. Herman Cain quoted this Pokemon movie during a presidential debate. Which is both the worst place to do that, and also technically the best place to do it, because who on that stage is going to risk calling you out? Excuse me, but I believe my opponent just attributed that quote to a poet when it really comes from the theme song to the film Pokemon the Movie 2000, whose lyrics I also know by heart, and oh God, I'm just now realising this is worse for me than it is for him. (laughs) That's hilarious! Sure. But a lot of beating up President Trump for uh, naming Herman Cain or suggesting Herman Cain for the Fed Reserve Board. And um, Herman Cain was on the, the regional Fed Reserve Board Kansas in Kansas City. City. Yeah. Yep. And so how is he not qualified? That's where they usually get these people from these boards. Uh, right. The other person recommended has been the editorial, uh, uh, one of your uh, editor writers for the Wall Street Journal for years. Also, sort of place you'd get this sort of person. Well, you know, I'm just, uh, and listen, he's a little unconventional because he's not a, a PhD in econ. Well, Herm Cain's an interesting character. I'm, I'm yeah. not saying he's not, but he didn't come out of nowhere to end up on the 
board of the Federal Reserve. Right. He's, just, he's done it at the lower levels, kind of like, you know, you're at the lower level of court and you make it to the Supreme Court. Right. Exactly. Um, I just, uh, I'm tired he's of the, wacky. the feigned outrage, though. Anything's the slightest bit unconventional or doesn't hew to the tradition of like the last 30 years. It's obviously stupid and outrageous. I'm just, I don't know, the age of hyperbole is just wearing me out. As long as the reason wasn't Trump was looking at the names of all the people in these lower federal positions and say, hey, I recognize that one. Yeah, I, well, I know him. That's a decent question. Right. Or, you know, the Fed famously must be independent. You know, if uh, Donald J. is just trying to find people who will kowtow to his wishes, that's probably not cool. One thing that's but interesting. We'll see. He gets to appoint the people. So. Who knows who's on the board for the Federal Reserve? I mean, who ever talks about this or argues about it ever? When has this ever come up as a topic in my life? I don't remember anybody. The chairman, maybe, but not the people on the board. But anyway. Yeah. Because um, Trump is why. Because uh, Trump, exactly. And uh, But Herm Cain being named to it. Herm Cain, remember, he got driven out of the running for president by some Me Too stuff before Me Too was a thing. Right. right. On a shucky ducky kind of day. Nine, nine, nine. I like that plan. That was a good plan. He was first in the polls for a while. Remember Herman Cain? Yep, for a cup of coffee. Of course, that was that was a wild election cycle. That Man, was a, it, everybody took like a week at the top because nobody really liked anybody and settled on Mitt Romney, who had kind of lukewarm support. Mm-hmm. That was one of those deals. Um, so Stanford has expelled the only student that was in this whole admission scandal at their school. The only Stanford student known to be associated with the massive college admission scandal has been expelled. Uh, We don't know her name. Uh, She was not recruited as an athlete, but her application included falsified sailing credentials. Ah. And after she was admitted, a $500,000 contribution was made to Stanford's sailing program. Do you get that back? A half a million dollars. Hey, do you remember when I bribed you to let my kid in as a fake sailor? Um, turns out that, well, things well, have gone kind of sideways. My and, kid's uh, not in anymore, so I'm hoping so, maybe... Uh, I mean, we, decency would seem to dictate. Uh, <laughs> how about you keep 50K of it? Because I, I got some big lawyer bills. I have to pretend all this stuff because I don't run in these circles in all kinds of different ways. But so it's it matters to me a half a million dollars that I get to tell people my 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 good daughters at Stanford. Mm-hmm. That's the amount of enjoyment I get out of it. At she least, sails for Stanford. At least a half a million dollars worth yeah. of enjoyment out of saying, "Oh yeah, my daughter goes to Stanford." Yeah, I guess that's what you're doing. The at sort of people for whom it's not only attractive but almost required that their daughter sail for Stanford. I've seen pictures of those people in magazines. <laughs> right. But I really don't uh, rub elbows with them, no. So Stanford's now former head sailing coach, John Vandemore. That's a good name for oh, a sailing coach perfect. at Stanford. Yeah. <laughs> he needs to change it to Vandemere and, and go to, I don't know, you, you know, New York University or something like that and land somewhere else where he can hobnob with the upper crust. But he was fired. I can see his ascot from here. Oh, yeah. He's fired and uh, pled guilty to recommending non-sailors as recruited athletes in exchange for donations. Ah. So you'll, you're, you're that fired a coach just for that. <laughs> really? Wow. Aren't we nitpicking a little? So he recommended people with no sailing ability for scholarships to be on the sailing team. And then he got a check from their parents. And now you're going to fire him. Well, aren't we high and mighty with our standards? 
That's hilarious. I could have played Big Ten basketball if my parents had really loved me. Jerry's slow. He's got small hands, and he can't jump over a sheet of paper, but I have half a million dollars for you. Well, welcome to the team. I mean, you just, I don't, I'd like to know what his thinking was. Maybe maybe his thinking is because he's fired for admitting people with no sailing credentials for money. Right. I mean, that's just, you, you don't, you're, you're not kind of, you can't even fool yourself that you're not doing something wrong. Here's my rationale that I'm doing that. Listen, every year we've got like 24 people who are coming out for the team, and we keep 18 of them. So she's going to be one of the six. So, you know, maybe arguably that last person who makes the squad would have been incrementally better if I brought a real sailor to the team. But that's, please, we're slicing it a little thin here. We'll work extra hard on our jibs or our, <laughs> our rudders or something. You know, the whole mainsail you know thing. We'll the, work extra hard on that. You know about the tacking? Oh, please. You know about the tacking? About it, right. So we'll work on tacking extra hard, and uh, we'll be fine. So on the other... Win-win, that's what I say. On the other end of it, the people that... The, uh... The uh, the bow. <laughs> On the we were talking about the bow. Let's get to the stern. The kids who actually do have sailing credentials. So I didn't have sailing credentials, and neither did anybody I've ever known. You would have to grow up in a lifestyle where you're out sailing on a on a big boat regularly, right? Or guess, a little one, I guess. I don't know. I'm don't... guessing that most of the people that end up on Stanford's sailing team legitimately grow up in an uber-rich family where they sail big, giant boats around yeah. and they hire somebody to teach their kid how to do it. Yeah. So, I don't know. What is that? Also. Okay, fine. So, you're qualified because you grew up in that family to go sail at Stanford and now you're getting in. Yeah. The coach might be thinking that. What the hell difference does it well, make? Well, right. Yeah, you're slicing it kind of thin. Well, so they're from that sort of family, and they're not a good sailor. That's, what I, that's my point. So instead of paying uh, for sailing lessons for 15 years, they're just paying me. That's my point. I'll give the that's kids my sailing lessons, and I'm really good at teaching sailing. I'm the Stanford sailing coach. So it's the uh, so I admit, Turns out the boat does most of the work anyways. <laughs> so I admit the 1 in 10 million kid who grew up in a rich enough family to have sailing experience... Or the kid, they're rich enough, but they didn't sail for whatever reason. What's the difference? Yeah, like I say, I'll give them six weeks of lessons. They'll be a pretty damn good sailor by the time I'm done with them. Unless they're just completely useless. And if they are, I'll cut them from the team. I'm with this guy. I think he's getting job. <laughs> I think it's a distinction practically without a difference. Right, right. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. Same sort of kid. Same sort of family. That's something. Uh, this is from back from when music really kicked ass. Was this the Carter years? Man, the Carter years were sad. Probably about that period of time. America's birth rate fell to zero. As as no man could maintain an erection, no woman wanted one. (laughs) When music like this was popular. Exactly. Everybody was a cat owner. No dog owners. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. Available right now via the iHeart app and iTunes. Our two new podcasts. Armstrong and Getty, one more thing. That's our daily after show podcast. And Armstrong and Getty Extra Large featuring our interviews of the most interesting people in the world. Subscribe today via the iHeart app or iTunes. Or wherever podcasts are given away for free. Because we're stupid. 
The Armstrong and Getty Show. So now Iran has declared our military a terrorist organization. What? Marshall will have that in his news coming up. I mentioned last week I know someone who's uh, taken this class that's become controversial at the University of Kansas. Angry white male studies? Yes. That makes me an angry white male just hearing about it. They should study me. you're proving their point. Yeah, the course catalog says it'll delve into the history of angry white men beginning in the U.S. and Britain in the 1950s and working its way up to today. Students will learn how, quote, dominant and subordinate masculinities are represented and experienced in cultures undergoing periods of rapid change connected to modernity as well as rights-based movements of women, people of color, homosexuals, and trans individuals. I wonder why they started in the 50s. I don't know. You know, the whole academia trying to put an academic framework, a theoretical framework, on just the way human beings go about being human beings is uh, it's, it's becoming really annoying to me. How they, they've got to have a chart explaining oh, funny. in a technical way how people like get freaked out by change but then get used to it and the rest of it. And they've got to, you know, they got to make it sound like it's a science. It's like the grievance studies papers that were so brilliantly parodied and all. It's just, so you got that and then saw this for, um, I think this is in the New York Times, but it's, yeah, it is the New York Times, but it's quoting City Journal. This weekend, more than 14,000 academics will gather in Toronto to share their research for the American Education Research Association's annual conference. Perhaps the most remarkable symposium analyzes fan fiction about Becky's. Becky is a slur for a stereotypical basic white girl obsessed with Starbucks, Ugg boots, and trying to have a bigger butt. I thought that was, I know that uh, that came up in the conversation about incels. Those people that are involuntarily, involuntarily celibate, they hate yeah. Beckys. Yeah. The panel titled... Becky, 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 Stan, Stan. <laughs> it's, a, it's a different thing. New yep. Fed Reserve Board member Herman Cain. Yet another Herm Cain reference on the show. <laughs> Odd. Who saw this coming? <laughs> the panel titled Critical Becky Studies, Critical Explorations of Gender, Race, and the Pedagogies... Pedagogies... I don't know how you say it, I only read that word. Yeah, the pedagogy. Nobody ever says it. All right, I got to get it. Uh, Critical Becky studies, critical explorations of gender, race, and the pedagogies of whiteness, including a paper called Becky Book Club, White Racial Bonding in the Living Room, which explores the, quote, more insidious workings of book clubs, quote, laced with white supremacy and surveillance. That's what it is. That's what book clubs, I knew that's what book clubs were. Another Insidious racism. Yeah, it's not just people who like together for social reasons and talk about a book once in a while. And they tend to be of the same race because that's the way people do. Birds of a feather flock together. Another essay, Border Becky, exploring white women's emotionality, ignorance, investment, and whiteness. Examines white women who find themselves, quote, at the border between choosing to be race traitors and re-pledging their allegiance to white supremacy. Oh, that reminds me. I need to re-pledge my allegiance. I think I'm past due. Are you elapsed? Is it elapsed? I haven't yeah. pledged my allegiance to white supremacy. There's a $10 charge because you let it lapse. if I don't do that, I'm a race traitor. Right. I, I tell you Traitor, what, right? This would, yeah, right. This Not would, one who trades races. Right. Okay. We understand. Trade you one Hispanic. 
For, no, uh, don't finish that. For two Czechoslovakians. Oh, he finished it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this would all be hilarious if it weren't so clear. It was interesting. I came across this Becky's thing in the titles of those papers simultaneous with hearing about a, a guy who just got tried for his uh, participation in the genocide in Rwanda, in which the the Hutus and Tutsis demonized and dehumanized each other and made everything about tribe and ended up slaughtering each other in horrific form. And the incredible hypocrisy of, of people on the left who simultaneously are screeching that anybody, you know, who who has a problem with illegal immigration is otherizing or dehumanizing immigrants, yet at the same time find it they're enthusiastic about dehumanizing white people and suggesting that gals who go to book clubs are and I quote, because you can't parody this stuff. Um, they're at the border between choosing to be a race traitor and repledging their allegiance to white supremacy. Uh, the insidious workings of book clubs laced with white my, supremacy and surveillance. Are those my only two choices for just being a human being? I need to either repledge myself to white supremacy or, or be a race traitor. Can I just kind of... The belief of my life, not to really think about it ever. Uh, I like playing video games. And I watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> well, so. You know, I was just going to say, this is going to make sense to 98% of people, but unfortunately, it's the 2% that are controlling the conversations. At just almost every single white person in America is just trying to make a living. Just trying to raise our kids so they don't end up criminals, trying to find a little bit of happiness, going to the doctor and praying it's not cancer, and the rest of it. Nobody wants to put anybody down or keep anybody down. Everybody's just trying to have a friggin' life. God, this fantasy of insidious, evil white people forming cabals. God, we we don't even like each other. I'm telling you, white folk are ready to riot! But we're not! We're just trying to go to work! Just trying to pay a bill, trying to figure out what to do with our elderly parents because it's breaking our hearts and it's expensive as hell to keep them in a home. There's no effing conspiracy going on, you paranoid lunatics. <laughs> racists are racists. Everybody else isn't a racist. God, and again, they're, they're so hilariously self-serious, it would be funny, except that a lot of these people are militant and they actually want to hurt people. God. Do you know any white people? We're um dumbs just like everybody else trying to live our lives. God. This stuff is incredible. Becky's. Can you imagine trafficking in, trafficking in that sort of stereotype about black girls, for instance? That would be repugnant. You know why? Because it's repugnant. Bigotry is bigotry. And if you claim to be racially sensitive while you engage in bigotry, you're a bigot. Mm. Doesn't matter who's on the receiving end. Well, the hierarchical, the powerful, the cosmology of the white people. No, you're a bigot. Got a lot of texts saying I'm wrong about sailing. So I apologize. Perhaps we can leave that alone. Uh, sorry, I rubbed you the wrong way. Got what are your they ass saying? In a bundle. There plenty of not rich people sail. Fine. Did you call the port a starboard? Oh, yeah. Maybe I did that wrong. I'll never think about it again in my life. And this Joe Getty quote of the day: <laughs> I could have played Big Ten basketball if my parents loved me. <laughs> That is pretty good. What's coming up in your news, Marshall Phillips? Iran is firing back after the U.S. declares a Revolutionary Guard a terror group. It is on. Revisiting the Democrats' rising star, Mayor Pete, and the health benefits provided by classical music.
Cool. It's all on the way on the Armstrong and Getty Show. former FBI agents on cable news, and the problem is, you realize, because there's a bunch of them on Fox, there's a bunch of them on MSNBC, there's a bunch of them on CNN, they all just, they have opinions just like everybody else, and political leanings, and then they bring some of their experience to the table, obviously, but they're just as likely to be partisan and or wrong as anybody else. But you've got this former FBI analyst on CNN, who said he's looked at Kirsten Nielsen's resignation letter. She's the National Homeland Security Secretary that was fired over the weekend. Mm -hmm. They always let you resign for some reason. Why did they do that? I don't think she's been digging her job much for quite some time. So they don't have to pay half uh, and half. Sorry, they don't have to pay the unemployment that way. Yeah, well, that's why you do it in the real world. But why do they do it at the government level? They let everybody resign. Keep your dignity. Okay, but she was fired. Bye bye. This FBI agent has looked at her letter and looked at the New York Times op-ed piece that was written anonymously about a year ago. Do you remember that? Ah, I remember when everybody cared about that for the blink of an eye. Yeah, for like a day. It was the biggest story in the world. Yeah. And uh, whoever wrote it saying Trump's unqualified and crazy and all kinds of different things. And mm. I am somebody from the secret cabal on the inside that is right. working to, to stop oh, his right. agenda. Yeah, right. now I remember yeah. it, yeah. Her resignation letter, according to this FBI analyst, is loaded with commas and dashes in exactly the same way as that op-ed piece was, Uh and he thinks that she wrote it. Mm. He said, I could be wrong, but the style and the cadence comparing lines and words in each piece are very, very similar. So there you go. I'm focusing on the fact that he could be right. (laughs) (laughs) That's some good gossip. Ah, boy. And that's all it is. News now with Marshall Phillips. Ah, boy. Now it's on. Iran's foreign minister wants to include Middle East-based U.S. military forces in their country's terrorist groups list. Okay, fantastic. It's as if we offered a tat and received back a tit. Can we say that? I don't don't know. Certainly. (laughs) In a reciprocal move after the U.S. announced it's designated Iran's Revolutionary Guard, a foreign terrorist organization... The Iranian foreign minister is now making that demand in a letter he dashed off to President Hassan Rouhani. That's according to the official Iranian government news agency. Here's the thing. You see, the world's number one superpower, militarily and economically, who we put on that list matters a great deal. Who Iran puts on their list matters as much as my grocery list. Yeah, I think I'll add avocados to my list. It's the same thing. Sources close to Armstrong say he's added avocados. <laughs> now, if a woman went to a, uh, a a skin ink shop and said, I will lift up my shirt in exchange for you drawing a picture with ink on my skin, would that literally be a tit-for-tat exchange? I still don't know and, if we and can is say that. that- We'll is find that out. Legal. <laughs> yes. Well, is that what? Shortly. We I'm curious out. about state laws. We will find out later today. <laughs> this is a legitimate question. Oh. <laughs> All right, let's shift gears. Indiana. You Mayor. know what? If this is how it ends, oh, wait a it'd second, be Sean. Worth the story. Sean, you and I are laughing. We're like Billy Bush. Oh, we're the we're, Billy Bush oh, of this. You're yeah. We're Billy laughing. Bush. So we're going to get fired. Oh, yeah. Joe's going to go on to become president. You know, I only did it because they encouraged me. We're the Billy Bush of this. Indiana Mayor Pete uh, Buttigieg says he is about as different as it gets from Donald Trump. He was on NBC's Meet the Press, the 37-year-old South Bend Democrat known as Mayor Pete 
says it's probably the only moment in American history where it might make sense for somebody his age to offer a new vision of the future. Each election in many ways produces somebody who's the reverse of what we just had. And you could argue that it doesn't get more different from this president than a laid-back, intellectual, young gay mayor from the Midwest. Which is a pretty good line. Yeah. That he uses regularly. Charming also, fella. I have, uh, you know, a number of strong disagreements with him, but he's oh, a likable chap. I couldn't disagree with him more on his abortion stance, but as a political animal, I like that phrase. He he's got reelected really with 80% of the vote. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he's, it's the same state where Mike Pence is governor. Like it's a, yeah, it's he, a, he pointed right, that out yesterday. College town. Right. He pointed that out yesterday. I thought that was really interesting because they were talking about, will you appeal to this voter? Right. Will you appeal to that voter? He said, people just want better lives. I live I live in a county that voted for Obama, Trump, Pence and me. Wow. In the majority. Wow. What does that mean? They just want a better life. That's pretty interesting in uh, terms of how electable you are. Right. Just saying it's a lot more complicated than a lot of people yeah. want to make, yeah. you know? So, classical music it turns out could help patients with pain and inflammation in addition to enhancing how pain relievers work. Researchers at the University of Utah worked to understand how the music of Mozart played to mice in a lab could lead to a better understanding of how to treat epilepsy and management of chronic pain. The study has shown that music can help alleviate the negative effects of epilepsy as well as help calm pain. That's classical, really interesting. Makes sense. Music. Well, there's no doubt that music has an emotional effect on you. I mean, there's no doubt. It can ramp you up. It can calm you down. So who knows? Virginia and Texas Tech face off tonight in search of the 2019 Men's College Basketball National title, the game at the U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. Similar to the Super Bowl, where you had some calls that were questionable, yes. and you wondered about the teams there, you got the same situation here. You think, oh, come on. Do. I, do I get excited about this? They or tend to even out, Jack. The do calls they, even out. Do they? Except for when you lose, then you're done and you go home if you're Auburn. Yeah. That's an interesting point. There you go. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips in the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. Texas Tech is relevant to me because they are the... That's how I discovered that Old Town Road song that we were talking about, the Is It a Country song. She doesn't know. The first time I heard it was in their post-game victory celebrations it was playing in their oh, locker really? room. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, and Virginia graduates the most people or whatever. Mm-hmm. Actually, they're actual student-athletes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. actual student-athletes. With their, they're held up as an example of that, so that's cool. Yeah, so we got the Cavaliers that. versus the Red Raiders? That's Is correct. That, uh, it's man versus man, as it should be. But so right. what we determined was... Well, from the Red is it communist? Or I don't know. I think they seem to have cowboy imagery. Sunburned? Yeah. Okay. yeah. But what we determined is when you were doing your mascot against mascot, we've always, we've always thought Cavalier means they don't care. So they're going to lose. Turns mm. out means they, they don't get so worked up. They're just, relaxed. They're yeah. loose. Yeah, they they're go right. with the flow. Hey, boys, let's play some ball. <laughs> okay. Everybody's like, yeah, hell yeah. And then they go out and they beat you. Yeah. And you hire some refs. and Right, exactly. <laughs> what? And then you go out and win. No, what? The, what? Hair is always What are the red raiding? I mean, is it is like a Game of Thrones thing? Are they evil? Are they bad guys? Good guys? I don't, I don't actually know that. So this guy that worked with Steve Jobs uh, had a, the top 11 life-changing lessons I learned at Apple. And these are pretty good, actually. Mm. Steve Jobs trivia? He founded Apple. 
There you go. <laughs> wow. wow. She Whoa. There you go. Trivia right there. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the, of the nation. We had that stupid study earlier that said uh, the average person only has four hours of free time a week, which I just do not believe, and runs counter to all the information out there about how much time people spend on their phones, on Netflix, watching sports. I mean, there's all kinds of things you could list. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If, if if the number one show in America is Sunday Night Football, okay, you're going to tell me it takes about four hours to watch a football game. You're going to tell me the average person, they use their entire free time of the week on that football game? Because I would consider that free time. The choice to watch a football game, wouldn't you? Sure, yeah. Well, unless I'm the head coach, yeah, clearly. <laughs> Half the polls you hear about are bullcrap well, from some uh, yeah. website that's just looking for publicity. It's just anyway. dumb and not true. But anyway, yeah. from from that same data, uh, 10 life administration tasks Americans are currently putting off. And uh, number one, doing odd jobs around the house. Oh, yeah. It's kind of an ongoing list. You never get it done. Do you? you add stuff to the list and you cross a few off. But, uh, oh, you're supposed to cross them off. Paying bills, sorting paperwork, a bunch of those kind of things. Oh, that's the worst. It is the worst. I got on a roll on, like, Saturday. I went through so much paperwork on Saturday. If I can get started, that's the key. Yeah. If I can get started, you can you can hardly stop me. But getting started You got to be just... in the mood, though. You got to be. And if you are in that mood, for the love of heaven, oh, jump on do it, it then. Don't let it pass. won't come back. Don't let <laughs> right. it pass. Right, exactly. Man, I had one of those, you know what I ought to do? I ought to go through all those boxes we've moved four times. Don't let that mood pass. It's like, you know, when you're a busy couple with little kids and you feel like making love, do it right then. (laughs) Thought that was interesting. Also this, a guy named Guy Kawasaki, which is a cool name, uh, worked at Apple going way back to 1983, worked with Steve Jobs for a long time. Mm. I got to read that Steve Jobs book. I've started it a couple times and it was real interesting, but I... It's only like 2,000 pages long. Durr. By, what's I can picture the guy. What's his name? Herman Don't tell me. Melville. Don't tell me, Sean. I enjoy thinking of this. It's it'll come Melville. To, it'll come to me. Anyway, um, ask people who, uh, who worked at Apple when Steve Jobs was around, and they'll all tell you the same thing that I'll tell you. It wasn't easy. There were days when he was impressed by my work, and there were days when I was certain he would fire me. But it was always exciting because we were on a mission. Um, and it all felt important and like they were doing something. And he reiterates it again, again at the end of this article. It was really difficult, but his most enjoyable job experience he ever had. Mm. Which is kind of interesting. Isn't that interesting that those go together? It runs counter to the trophies for everyone yeah. uh, aspects of society. The If somebody's tough on you or demanding or whatever, they're a bad person. I just, I get that. Although jobs could be a flaming you-know-what from what I've heard, but... Yeah, I'd like to hear more. Walter Isaacson. That's who wrote the Steve Jobs. That's right. There you go. Um, my mind Also used to, wrote Moby Dick. When I was younger, <laughs> that stuff would come to my mind immediately. Yes. Now i got to wait like 45 seconds. It still yes. gets there. It just takes longer. you got to access the back catalogs, unzip <laughs> yes. some file drives. Get right. past the sports statistics. <laughs> Boy. A few birthdays you've memorized. Very few. Um, it also, it all reminds me, when I was in school... 
you'd hear about the hard teachers. Oh, they're the hardest teacher out there. Always were my favorite teachers. Right. Every single time turned out to be my favorite teacher. Virtually 100% Because it was like interesting and mattered and they cared. And- right. And they set a high bar. You found yourself reaching it and being proud of yourself. Anyway, he's got his top 11 life-changing lessons he learned at Apple. I'll only hit you with a couple because several require really long, detailed descriptions of what they mean. He's got a book out called Wise Guys, Lessons from a Life. A lot about working with Steve Jobs, but... I thought this was interesting. If you're if you're in a hiring, only excellence matters. Steve Jobs divided people into two groups: insanely great people and crappy people. It was Whoa. that simple. Hey, that's hurtful. He elevated women to positions of power long before it was cool or socially responsible to do so. He didn't care about gender, sexual orientation, race, creed, or color. He only wanted people that were really good at what they did. Any successful business should do that, right. and I think most do actually. Oh, I I agree completely. I've worked all over the country at levels from junky little doomed to fail businesses to successful to go go all sellers. I've I don't think I've known anybody in a hiring, uh, you know, in position to hire people who had any standard but that. I know, honestly. I know, I, I know. I, I've never known anybody who would have turned down a good candidate. They 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 do they'd rather have less of a sales manager because at least it's a guy and not a girl. I've never right. known that person. Right, boy, this other guy showed up and he was sharp as hell, but he was Hispanic. I have no. seriously never run into that person. Because we all want to make money. I'm sure they exist, but yeah. Uh, and the other one that stuck out to me, I thought it was interesting. Changing your mind is a sign of intelligence, and it goes through a couple examples of Steve Jobs doing that. It's not a sign of flip flopping or. You're crazy, or you got new information, so now you have a new thought about it. Right. How, how is that even a, a question? I remember that somebody tried to stick somebody with that a couple election cycles ago, and I, I wish I remembered who it was, but um, they said, yeah, when I got new information, I, I changed my mind. Anybody who doesn't do that is uh, crazy. And it's like, oh, okay, all right, so much for the whole flip-flopper narrative. Yeah, Ah. it's a Winston Churchill quote, I think. It's something like, uh, when the facts change, my position changes. Right. Oh, it's when the facts change, I change my position. What do you do? (laughs) I know he presented as a question. I love that. Which makes you look like an idiot. Love Winnie Churchill. And then you slink off. And, and of course, the best Winston Churchill quote... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Winston, you're drunk. Oh, yeah? Well, in the morning, I'll be sober, and you'll still be ugly. That's my favorite one. Got him! <laughs> <laughs> kind of a mean thing to say. Not the mm. nicest thing to no, say. No, no, no. Somewhat unkind. Yeah. Of course, you know, she started it, didn't she? Yeah, that's right. Right? Call me drunk. Right. Hey, don't step into the ring, then get angry because I punched you. Huh? Mm. Mm. As a woman. Right so, Oh, my favorite story of the day. We talked about this briefly earlier on, but the uh, the headline is, Suspected rhino poacher killed by an elephant, then eaten by lions in mm. South Africa. Which is, I like it, and it's a metaphor for the way politics ought to work in this country. So you got a poacher coming to kill the rhinos, the endangered rhinos. His brother elephant says, not on my watch. And he stomps the guy flat. <laughs> flat. <laughs> and then, then he says, he calls over to lions, he says, hey, hey. You know what this guy was doing? He was trying to kill a rhino. And the lion's like, wow, that is so uncool. The elephant's like, I'm a plant eater, as you know. Do you want to eat his ass? And so the lion comes and he, he eats him. And all that was left was the guy's skull in his pants when they, <laughs> when they came a-looking for him. But they <laughs> ate his shirt. Interesting. Well, I don't even have shirtless. It's was, hot in Africa. I was saving his pants for dessert, but I was full, and I just... <laughs> and, and, and said the lion, they don't fit me. 
Hey. So yeah. So the all the, the I mean the whole food chain came together to to help each other out. Does the Ryan have exactly the same needs as a lion? No, but they recognize that they're all in this together, and they. St- Stomp this guy flat and ate him, which is just great. Oh, and of course, the guy was hunting the rhino to, to cut off its horn and grind it to give people in Asia better erections. Except that it doesn't do you any good whatsoever. It's it's ridiculous. And rhinos are, among other animals, vanishing from the earth. Tigers as well to give the Asian people better erections. Theoretically, it's ridiculous. The UN needs to look into this. Hey, Asia. Here's all the Viagra you want. All right, here, we'll give it to you for free. Quit killing rhinos. Or we'll have an elephant stomp you. What? <laughs> right. <laughs> and now, Michael Dotsmith, Armstrong and Getty. <laughs> so it's Pee Wee Herman? I think. Here's your host, Joe Getty. All right, let's get a final thought from everybody. Michelangelo, our board operator. What's your final thought, my brother? Hey, hold on. The winds are now up to 65 miles an hour in my studio. <laughs> I've had two toggles and three levers fly past me. I can't believe you made me work in these conditions. I said I was sorry. <laughs> Fabulous. The uh, air conditioner's broken there, you right. see. So they get some mobile unit. Hey, uh, Marshall Phillips, what's your final thought? I had to prop the gate open in my backyard before I left for work this morning because the turkeys are back and two of them have taken up home in my backyard. Wow, the menacing, menacing turkeys. <laughs> oh, yeah. And they're nasty. Do you want a gun? I'll bring a gun. I have owned several guns. Do you want me to bring a shotgun? I, I don't know if you're allowed to do that. Do you have to? You oh, got to wow. have a license, <laughs> right? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, this is America. I need a permit. Positive, Sean. Final thought. I believe I'm about to join the class of the bespectacled. Uh, my eyes. I think it's it's clear to me that things aren't clear enough to me. So I need some some glasses to help that out. I don't know what the first step is, so the first step is figuring out what step number two is. <laughs> Do I just go into a, an eyeglass place? You talking and say, reading Give me glasses some? or see far uh, for away? driving? Like, okay. a, like I notice it most of street signs well, at night. You're lucky like that. that it's coming at a time when glasses are cool and not when you get made fun of like right. you used to years ago. <laughs> I say you just uh, steal people's glasses from their desks and try them until you find a pair that makes you see straight. Jack, do you have a final thought? I was just reading this article about Steve Jobs and the guy working for him and uh, wondering, could Steve Jobs, everybody agrees, like he's one of the all-time geniuses, right? Like a Da Vinci or something? Mm -hmm. Could he even have done his thing in the modern world? Now, with you got to be nice to everybody in a, in a variety of things. Wow, I, I wonder, wonder. If Steve Jobs, I mean, we're not going back that far. I'm huh. not sure Steve Jobs could do his thing today. Uh, my final thought is there were 65,000... Black rhinos in 1970, 65,000. It went down to 2,400 in wow. 1995. They bounced back slightly, but all for the fallacious belief yeah. that you can get. You got a, a you got a, a, a capital punishment for those people. Send a message. Well, that one guy got it. Yeah, yeah. stomped them flat. <laughs> so I heard. See you tomorrow. God bless America. This is a historic act uh, of uh, devastating incompetence. I will not sugarcoat this. This is a disappointing day for us. Big mistake, but not too bad. The fun level in this room is at an 11 right now, and that brought it down. The ride is over! The time for the clowns and the acrobats and the dancing bears has passed. Get away from here. Get. Get. And we apologize for our stupidity, and we really hope you forgive us for what we've done. Thank you, and good night. And the show's over.
bye-bye. The circle of life. Yeah, I like that. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.